Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Thank you. Yeah, all right. So if you're tuning in on the podcast, it's a bit of a different episode. Uh, It's the 200th episode. And um, I want to say thank you to all my listeners around the world. I want to say thank you to those of you that are live. I'm very grateful that you're here. We've got a theme, which is Halloween business nightmares. Uh, we're going to get you involved in the audience. We've, even, we've got agendas, scripts, everything. I'm a bit nervous because I hate being scripted. I'm now going to open questions for you to ask me about any fears you may have in business. I've written down the four main ones I think people may have. There may be others. So I think fear of being judged. And of course, that's not just in business, is it? That's in with the clothes we wear, the way we speak, etc. Everything. Having trolls, critics, haters. Uh, failure and success. And it seems weird to say that some people fear success, but a lot of people do, I think, because they worry about how they'll be judged by their friends, their family, their previous clubs, their old mates. Oh, look at Robbie's changed. Look at all the clothes he wears now, driving a fry. Rob's thinking changed. You know, all of that. So judgment, critics, trolls and haters, failure and success. So does anyone have any questions you want to roll us off with? Uh, If not, yes, Ranjit. What's your name, sir? Ranjit. Hi, Ranjit. Good to see you again. I see you, Rob. Um, quick question on speaking on stage. I mean, you're really helping to move on. What was it like the first time you went on stage? Okay, so the question is about speaking on stage. Uh, yeah, when I first did it, I was petrified, petrified, and terrible. And I remember the first speech I ever did. Um, I'll do it over here because it's a better demo. Um, but I stood right in front of the projector. And the projection, the, the slides were right on my um, crutch area. So you had to, re- you were looking, you were looking. So you had to, you know, why property? Why invest? And you're having to read it off my um, crutch because I just stood right in front of it. I had notes that I was reading almost word for word and I was just standing there looking like that. And I was terrible. The only saving grace was people weren't doing live feeds and didn't have smartphones back then because if anyone would have taken a video and that was online, that would have been embarrassing. Um, And people think that speakers are naturally born speakers. Well, no one's a natural born speaker because no one, when they pops out a mum, can, you know, uh, rouse an audience. Oi, doctors, nurses, come here, you know, buy my shit. They can't do that. Um, So speaking is a learned skill. It's a learned skill. And uh, I simply decided that I wanted to be a speaker. Um, And I got an opportunity with my ex-boss. So my ex-boss who fired me, um, he used to bring me opportunities all the time for the year that I worked with him. Oh, why don't you do this life coaching course? Why don't you do this NLP course? And then um, we had an opportunity as a company um, to go and do quite a big speaking gig for one of my previous mentors, Warren Bourget, who had an event in central London. I think it was the Millennium Gloucester Hotel. And there was like 200 people that were going to be there. And he'd let us as a company do a, a, a speaking slot on property. There was me, Mark, and our ex-boss. And um, so our ex-boss came on and went, right, who's doing this speaking? And Mark and my ex-boss just went, not me. 
And I went, I'll do it. And I didn't know how to do it and just putting my hand up and saying, I'll do it, gave me all sorts of butterflies. But I realised that if I could take on something that other people weren't doing, I could increase my value. Because this was 2006 and I was still learning the ropes as a property investor. And Mark was a lot more ahead of me and so was my ex-boss. Um, and then um, I managed to convince him to, to fund me doing a public speaking course in Australia. It was Chris Howard's platform and presentation skills in Australia. So there was a, an opportunity to speak in front of 200 people. By default, I took the gig. I had like maybe two months. And because there was a big need and I hadn't done it, I managed to convince my boss to send me to Australia to do the course. I went over, did the course, came back, did a couple of speeches. I thought I did all right. He fired me for various reasons in a different story, and I've probably made about 30, 30 million plus as a speaker since. Uh, and I have a golden rule when I want to learn something, and that is, who are the go-to people? You know, who are the top influencers? Follow all their work on social media, uh, get their books, get their audio books, listen to their podcasts. I'll go wide at first, so if there's 10 people, I'll listen to them all, and I'll try and get a good um, breadth of knowledge and then I'll go, ah, oh, that's not really about what I'm interested in. I don't really like this person's style, blah, blah, blah. And I'll drop away from some that I don't feel are right and I'll have two or three that are right and then I'll go deep. What are their courses, seminars, retreats, masterminds, academies, everything. Can I do one-to-ones with them? I suppose a bit like what many of you have done with Progressive and, you know, and, and with me on the podcast. Uh, and that's what I did with public speaking. And the more you learn, the more you earn. The, you know, the more you learn about something, the better you get. The more you practice, the better you get. Um, and I was very scared at first. I was. Um, but, you know, I've learned that if you face those things that you're very uncomfortable with um, and challenge yourself to get uncomfortable, that's where most of the growth happens. Um, and, yes, yeah, speaking's been amazing for me. And I definitely encourage anyone who's got a message or got a great business or a brand or a passion that you believe in or a desire to help people, I'd encourage you to work on your speaking skills. Now, in the world we're in right now, I think it's more important than ever to have good, solid speaking skills, like with Facebook Lives, with podcasts, you know, with live events. With every, you know, it's, you, you, there's nowhere where you're not speaking. Many of you in this room are property investors. Well, being a good public speaker will make you good at um, raising joint venture finance and you know, getting deals from estate agents. And you know, your new social media channels that you're setting up and building, and even the voice in your book that you write. Um, and, you know, I'm not like a polished speaker in terms of my diction. One is a bit lazy in one's diction, and limited in one's vocabulary. Uh, but I've, I've, I've got passion and inflection and passion, uh, passion I just said that, uh, desire. I suppose the ability to get people riled up a bit. I'm quite prepared to be polarising, to express my views. I've, I've got over my phobia of being in front of the camera. I'm a bit more nervous when I'm scripted um, because I, I don't like being, as soon as someone tries to put me in a box, I try and get out of it. Hence the disruptive entrepreneur. Uh, so, yeah, but then be, be working to a script and delivering well, that is a challenge for me that I'll embrace. Hence, you know, Tom and Harry and Nick and Natalie and Felicity have done a great job in setting all this up. Let's give them a huge round of applause, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of cliches, but often cliches are cliches because they work. Feel the fear and do it anyway. You know, that kind of thing. If, if it's something that's uncomfortable, then, you know, give it a go. Uh, often if I'm a bit uncomfortable about something, you can protect the downside. For example, you want to be a speaker, but you're scared. Well, just do a speech to two or three people you know at first. Test a live feed in a small community. Do a short video of one to two minutes. 
I was really um, quite... It's funny because I'd done hundreds of speaking gigs, making millions of pounds a speaker. And when, when I sort of first got into live feeds, I was really paranoid about doing that. Because a couple of times I sort of tried it out and my chin just looks massive and my beard just goes out like that. And I look like some, you know, have you seen Bo Selector, the Craig David character? It's just like what I looked like. And I hated the way I looked. And my, um, my tramline frowns in my forehead seemed to get bigger and deeper on live feed videos. And, I just, and in the end, I just thought, people don't give a shit about that. You know, I'm not a celebrity, I'm not a model. They care about my information, so they'll see through that. Um, you know, and if, I was a, if, you know, if my looks were important, I'd have to deal with that. But they're not. It's my message. So I just got over that. And over time, you get to work out a better angle, and you get to work out um, you know, just little tips and tricks, I suppose, to make it better. Hi, Ophelia. So good question, actually. Is there a downside to not being affected by haters and trolls? Well, I believe everything in life has a, an equally balanced upside and downside. Um, you know, I've spent many years being negative and that wasn't the reality of life. I spent a couple of years when I was doing all those personal development seminars, you know, when you're high-fiving and hugging and clapping and shouting and screaming and fiddling with your ears and, you know, all these kind of things. And, woo, and I've done them all and I'm never comfortable with all that. Woo, woo, yeah, yeah. You know, all this kind of crap. Um, but that's my English nature coming out. But I still did them all and still spent the money. And every time they do a sale, I'm at the running to the back spending the money again. So I couldn't hate them that much. But I was going out in the world going, oh, yeah, I'm so positive. And then going home and crying my eyes out. And I was kind of a bit delusional. So I've been, if you're overly positive in property investing, you'll do bad JVs and you'll overpay for properties. If you're overly sceptical and overly negative, then you'll never buy anything. So I believe everything has an upside and a downside. So what are the downsides of not being affected by critics, trolls and haters? You don't listen to the good feedback. If you, if you weren't wary of critics and trolls and haters, you wouldn't reinvest into your products and services to make them better. It forces you to grow. And we are, all of our version four, five, six products are way better than our version one and two. Thanks to some critics saying, this doesn't work, this isn't very good. Thanks to a few people getting really arsy and blah, blah, but they got arsy because we didn't listen to them. So yeah, there is a downside. Because there are some people, you know, many of us are a bit vulnerable and we've got our hang-ups, but many people are, have hubris. You know, they've, they've, they've been isolated and they've always been confident. They've, you know, they were an only child or they've been very well protected and they have great confidence. And their downside is, well, oh, fuck them, I'll do what I want, I don't care. And then you become, you don't listen to feedback around you and you don't improve. Yeah, good question. I've never been asked that question. Business horror stories. All right. So, ah, yeah. So let me give you a couple of solutions then to fears in business, just to wrap this up and bridge into the next bit, Tom. All right. So um, how do you overcome fear of judgment, fear of trolls, critics, haters, failure and success? Well, I see every action as a test. If you see every action as the be all and end all or mustn't make a mistake or high risk or whatever, of course, the bigger you make something, the harder it is to do it. If you just see everything in life as a test. I'll say this, I'll do this, I'll post this, I'll try this. If it doesn't work, I'll delete it. If I say something wrong and offend you, I'll just pull it back and say, I'm really sorry. I had too much coffee. I just see everything as a test. If you see everything as a test, you don't have the fear. And by the way, some, be a bit racy, be a bit risky. You test it, it works, you scale it. It doesn't work, you don't do it again. So instead of making everything, oh, well, setting up my social media profile, it's got to be perfect, and I've got to have all the pictures, and oh, it doesn't look very good, and I've got to get Photoshop, and I've got to get a design, and uh, you never do anything. Stick it up, test it. If they don't like it, if they don't like a certain video, delete it. Did you notice recently in the Disruptive Entrepreneur community, I put that um, new video we did with me on the scratch cards in the Ferrari? So we did the version now, but I'm, the, the team did that, which means if you didn't like it, it's their fault. <laughs> no, no, I'm only joking. Hey, look, we, no, but the way we saw that, because, you know, like, 
Obviously, a few of my haters will be like, yeah, Rob's got a Ferrari, probably rented it, wanker. Uh, sorry, Caden. Um, <laughs> but um, but the, I don't go around flaunting that thing. 99 out of 100 videos, you don't even know that those cars are in it. But we were just testing some new stuff. We wanted something that was a bit different. It's called a pattern interrupt in marketing. We want to pattern interrupt a bit. I don't just want to do videos with sort of lights and a, a, a boring backdrop. So the, the, um, Tom and the team came up with a concept which I thought was brilliant, and we did it, and I stuck it out there. Now, of course, I stick it out there. I know a video like that is going to get some critics. It's going to get some trolls, even some haters. But it's a test. And, and, and I can either go, thanks for your feedback, or if it, if it was terrible, I could have just deleted it. But we got probably 70% of people didn't like it. 30% of people did. But in the disruptive entrepreneur community in the last year, that is the highest commented post by a mile. There are 133 comments on it when I last looked. And uh, do you know what? A lot of the comments were good. Some people went, oh, I took a bit of time to get to the point. Oh, that bit when you pulled the book out was a bit cheesy. Bing! Aquafresh, you know, and they were right about these things. And so I just thought, put the video out, test, see what people say. Now, part of me thought, this is going to polarise people, and this will be a good little bridge into unconsciously pushing the book. And I, so I had some, I thought it might play out okay. And there's, we put the second version up, which was half the length, and we took on most of your feedback, and it was a much better second edit. Quicker, more to the point, more relevant. And it was a test. And if it had failed, delete, or just thanks. It also proved to me I can go and stick stuff up there, and I can... I can take feedback. So I'm always, can I take my feedback? Because I need to be able to take feedback. And also it proved to me that you are comfortable giving me feedback. Otherwise you wouldn't. And some people, you know, because I remember one guy who's um, one of my mentees, and he's a really lovely guy. He emailed me saying, bloody hell, Rob, they were a bit harsh on that man. They went into you. And I said to him, that means they feel comfortable with me. Because if they can give me that direct feedback and they don't have to sugarcoat it or, you know, fluff around, it means that there's a good relationship between us. Because they feel like they can do it. And I want them. I don't want to be around a load of yes men and women. I want people who say, Rob, that's wrong, or Rob, I don't agree. You have to be around people who challenge you. So I just saw that as a positive sign. And we did a much better second edit. Now, we, we spent, what, 20, 30 grand on that launch? So if I'd have done version one and not asked for your feedback, we wouldn't have done anywhere near as well. I wrote down one, two, three, four things that I would perceive to be horror stories in my business. I was hoping that my business partner might share a couple, but he's the only one who's left early, you might have noticed. <laughs> I, it, I, knew, I didn't even know why he was here, because I knew after 10 minutes he'd be gone. Um, <laughs> there you go, he's a law unto himself, but of course I love him. And that's obviously good feedback for me. All right, so um, does anyone first off have any questions or comments about challenges you've had in your business that you'd like me to give you some help on or share any business nightmare that we can discuss. I'll let you go first. Sam, do you want to come and sit on the hot seat? Okay, so uh, once, I've looked after hundreds and hundreds of tenants. Uh, once one died, well actually we've had a few die, uh, but died after we gave notice and uh, I struggled to work out how to deal with that from a PR perspective. What would you do? Yeah, we've had tenants who've died. I mean, ungrateful. What? Yeah, that was a test. I won't make a joke like that again. Thanks for your feedback. Um, so what's the question? Um, like, they've so died after you gave them if notice. If something really bad happened in your business, how do you deal with the, the kind of PR fallout? Okay, right. So I, I have a go-to rule when it comes to PR. Don't bullshit. Uh, and then preceding that is do the right thing. You know, like, what is the saying? And forgive me, for, again, I'm a little bit inelegant sometimes, but you can't polish a turd? Is that the...? 
Is that the very English saying? Um, so you PR nightmares are when people lie or sort of bob and weave or slip or exaggerate or divert or bat off. They're where most of the nightmares. So my rule is tell people the truth be honest about what's going on. Now, of course, if you're in a legal situation or there's family members involved, you have to be careful what you say. Um, but, you know, like we've had some PR issues in the past. And, you know, I'm sure in the past we've probably tried to spin something because you're always trying things. And, you know, sometimes the truth is hard to say. But, you know, anyone ever asked me any advice, it's what's the truth, tell the truth. I'll give you an example. A lot of people ask me things about, well, someone wants my time, someone wants to JV with me, you know, someone's asking me for money, how do I let them down, whatever. You know, just tell the truth. I'm not taking any more partnerships at the moment, I'm not ready to do this right now, I don't know you well enough. But when people say something like, oh, it's not you, it's me, or I haven't got time, you're smart, you know that's bullshit. So, um, what was the truth in the situation? Uh, yeah, so he had some psychological problems. He was seeing a doctor and things, uh, but obviously his family didn't think that. Okay. Oh, what, so you're saying that they tried to blame you? Yeah, for giving notice. Um, oh, what, they claim that giving notice killed him? Yeah. Yeah, right. it's pretty... Uh, and obviously there's lots of property people around here, so yeah. it's pretty tough. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow, well, I've not had that instance before. Um, so I, I would... Um, <laughs> Everyone I've stumped, Rob. No, no, that's all right. We're, we're going to get this. And, and when it comes out on the audio, that big long pause will be edited <laughs> and it will sound like I knew the perfect answer immediately. Okay, so I would initially be very, very, very sympathetic with the family. The truth is, they're probably very, very upset and many of us might react like that. And I think when the emotion has subsided, they'd realise that that's not the case. I would not go on the offensive, I would not attack them. I would simply say, I completely understand how you feel. I just want to support you through this time. And I'd be very careful not to make any statements that could be construed in any way. So, you know, I wouldn't go on the aggressive refuting it. That's absolutely not the case. This is the clause we issued it on this date. It's totally unrelated. I'd just say something like, or speak to them and say, look, I understand how you feel. This must be a terrible time for you. All I want to do in this time is support you. So anything I can do, you know, let me know. But it also depends, is it public or private? You know, are you speaking to these guys or are these guys going and putting a load of stuff all publicly and it's, it's damaging your business? Which one of those is it? It was pre-Facebook, so it's literally just us. Yeah, so it's just how you dealt with it. Um, what I found is, um, like, I, with nearly all of the issues we have with staff, you think it's X and what it normally is, is something's going on in their private life at home. They're, you know, they're not sleeping. So they're, they're a bit edgy or they're going through a breakup in a relationship or their child's being bullied or what or what. And I'd say a big percentage, 70, 80 percent of the issues that occur in the office are based on when they're having personal problems. So if you go to them with you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're not care about, caring about them enough to find out why. And when you find out why, you normally empathise. Because, you know, if, if our mother or father died in the same situation, maybe we'd feel just the same. Maybe we'd be worse. Who knows? So caring to understand, which is like, come and let's come and have a chat. Let's work this out. Now, the next thing is 99% um, of problems that are trying to be solved by email or on the phone should be done face to face. And things like this, you've got to sit down in front of them. And when you've got big PR, Branson is brilliant at this. Do you remember when the Vir there was a big Virgin Trains crash? Uh, and there, I think there's a couple of people that died and he went to the scene and he went to the hospital immediately and he gets there and it's hard 
but he gets there and he's, he's showing that he cares and he's going to see the families. And it's not just PR, it's because he cares. So that's what you should do. And I think in the end, you know, like in the past, we've taken a little bit of a hit for unfair comments about us, but we've known that the best thing to do is either to try and understand their point of view or just say silent because soon enough, you know, the emotion will be gone and the dust will be settled and things will move on. Now, when you're going through a PR issue or a business nightmare, you think, wow, this is terrible. It's never going to get any better. But in a month or a year, it's gone and you don't even remember it. I remember listening to a podcast about a really prolific social media influencer who's got like 15 million followers or something. And that, you know, they get asked a lot, well, what about if you put something that people don't like or doesn't get many likes or gets loads of trolls or critics? They say, well, you know, tomorrow they'd have forgotten. You do a bad video today, do a good one tomorrow, the bad video yesterday will be forgotten. But when you, when you seek and care to understand people's problems, these people could become good friends of yours. You know, if you treat them well and show who you really are in this difficult time, in this difficult situation. And, you know, like there's been some things not as bad as that, because we've had tenants that have died, but we've not been blamed for it. But we've had some sort of relatively minor public things where we've been accused of stuff. And the hardest thing for me to do is to shut up and say nothing, and I've just shut up and said nothing, and it's gone. And in the end, it's, we've just proven to be right and that we did the right thing, because they proved it themselves. Often PR issues or, you know, people blaming you for stuff. It's like, remember um, chemistry at school when you lit the magnesium and it went pfft? You know, it's really bang, but then it's gone. But people are judging how you handle this situation. And people are smart. When people are trolling you, everyone isn't believing the troll. They're putting themselves in that situation. So they're looking for, you know, how you handle yourself. Yeah, but wow, that's a definitely... Um, a unique one. Ranjit, come on the hot seat. Please give Ranjit a huge round of applause. Well, if you were nervous about public speaking, then you're <laughs> feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Looking you're looking very dapper. I mean, you're not copying me. Well, you c I can't be copied. Close. Anyway, there's a microphone. Let's, uh... um, so one about morals and ethics and business. So... Um, if you'd given your word about something in business, but there was a, a rising market, you know you're going to make a loss if you take your word back. What's more important, making the money or going through with your word? Okay, so I think that all money is based on trust. And actually, if you look at the history of words like interest, to remain interested, um, and how currencies work, you know, like we trust that the bank will back this imaginary currency that is not backed by gold like it used to be. Um, I think trust is the most important asset you have. So um, if I had a binary choice between letting them down or solving the problem and it costing me a bit, I'd try and solve the problem. But what I try and do is be very creative. How can I both solve the problem and not have the challenge I've got. Because, you know, people think life is binary. All right, well, if I stick to my word, I'm going to lose X. But actually, if you've got creative, how can I stick to my word and not lose X or create a new solution, whatever? Um, you know, so I'd try and look at getting creative. How can I solve the problem? Let's say, for example, you'd borrowed money and, um, you know, you'd promised to pay it back and you couldn't pay it back. Well, you might offer them a slightly higher interest over the penalty period. You can say, hey, look, the money's stuck. And, you know, I want to be honest with you. I was probably a bit naive because I really thought I could pay you this money back. And honestly, when I, when I said, 
I can pay you it back. I really believed it. But the market's changed. It's different. I'm not blaming the market. It's my responsibility. I shouldn't have made that promise to you, but I did. I'm holding my hands up. But I want to make it work for us because it's going to be hard for me if, you know, I have to pay this money back now and I want to make it work. So what solution can we come to? How about if I pay you a bit more interest or how about if I give you a bit of equity in another deal? Let's talk. And they will actually respect you for that. Um, and so, you, you know, because life isn't binary. It's not black or white. There are shades of grey. Um, and we've had, we've had challenges and sometimes we've not lived up to our word. And what I try now to do is not to give my word on anything I can't fully back up. Um, because obviously that could be naive. If, any, if there's any external circumstance that you can't control, giving your word is naive. Yeah. So obviously the balance in this is you get good lessons from this. Um, but there's nearly always a solution to the problem. Now what a lot of people do when, with joint ventures, money, property deals, business, is they bury their head in the sand, they don't want to have the hard conversations, they delay it and it gets worse and worse and worse. The best thing to do once it starts is to pick up the phone and just say, hey look, I know we've got a deal but I need to let you know early. It's not a problem right now but it could become a problem. I just want to let you know, so you know. Uh, you know, and do that. Um, and then when you have these discussions, you should have them face to face. Because they can, they can look in your eyes, they know that you care, they know that you're bothered, they know you're trying to solve the problems. Emails can be read, phone calls people can hide behind. Now, of course, you don't want to spend your life on the phone when a quick email, you know, RSVP could be done. But, you know, like if, if, if sometimes, from time to time, and it's very infrequent, which I'm proud of, but it does happen and it will happen in the future. Someone comes on a, uh, one of our social media profiles and has a complaint. And I will say, fine, do you want to call with me? Because one, I know it shows I care to everyone else. And two, I can normally solve the problem. And do you know what? Nine times out of 10, it's not a refund. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's that they didn't get the bonuses, they were fobbed off, they didn't get served, they want to swap something. They, you know, like, it's normally a logistical thing. And what, you know, let's say it's a big amount of money, let's just say, and let's say, you know what, don't really want to refund that sort of money. I might say, you know, do you want an hour's coaching call with me? Or, you know, I'll give you a call every three months for an hour to solve the problem. I'll find a creative way of sorting it out. And I'll ask them, well, what is it you want? What's your ideal scenario? You know, and then of course, well, a refund. Well, what's another one of your ideal scenarios? <laughs> um, give me option two. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, well, this is what I actually wanted. Well, I can understand that. And, you know, and then they, they get a chance to air it. I want to let them air it. And then, they, and then they calm down. And then you come up with a solution. I had it just recently. One woman who invested in a programme with one of our um, speakers. I just did this and did this and did this and went off on one. And it actually was nothing to do with the course because I know the course is good. It was because she'd done too many courses and she overwhelmed herself with a, a bit. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll put you in touch with the guy directly, which is a big thing to do because that's my trust. I knew he'd look after her. He spoke to her, he looked after her. And I said, I'll give you a, a and it's actually, I did the call on the way down to Centre Park. So I was leveraging my time. And she basically, She's just done a million things and what she needs to do is stop doing a few of those, sell a few of those. She's got um, some things she needs to pay for, but she's got a load of assets that have got a lot of equity in, but they're all over the world. And I said, well, if you just sell two or three of those, you've got all that money that can pay that off, that off and that off. And you can sort that out and that out and invest in that. And then all this problem goes away. And I just, I just gave her some clarity and she's very grateful. And then I gave her a plan and I said to her, to gave her a few actions. I said, when you finished your plan, um, tap me back up and we'll have another call. And um, she either won't or she will. And if she does, we'll have the call. And that probably saved me about eight grand. Thank you very much. All right, my pleasure. Please give Ranjit another round of applause. How do I say this humbly? Or right, I'm going to just say it how it is and not worry about how being judged. Um, I'm supposed to be doing business horror stories, but I don't really think I've got any horror stories, and I'm grateful for that. 
We've had challenges, but thankfully I've not gone bust. Thankfully I've not had a horrible PR issue. In the future, I know I'm probably gonna have more challenges than I've had to date, and I hope that I handle them and deal with them well. And I know if I don't, you guys will give me feedback to sort it out, so that's good. So my four horror stories probably aren't you know, that scary, um, but they're the ones I can think of. So first off is, I've only ever done this once, but I completely lost my rag with a staff member and shouted in his face. And I'm proud that I've only done it once, but I've done it once. And you know, when you're an employer and you're one-sided, you think, you work for me, I pay your wages, you know, you're supposed to do this and blah, 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 why are you doing that? You know, and, but the reality is, it's a two-sided fair exchange. Um, and I had to get all that, you work for me, you've got to do this, because I told you completely out of my head to be able to deal with this. But basically, here, long story short, is um, Mark and I had James Kahn speak at our Property Super Conference in 2010, and we met him and spent a good amount of time with him. And then we, um, got, he was our mentor, he became our mentor for a while, and we paid him to give us some mentoring sessions and um, also donated to one of his charities to do it. Um, and it was great. And the, 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 the main thing, I mean, there were a load of things we learned from James. And I actually had a conversation with him a couple of weeks ago. Um, but the main thing we learned was that our business was really reliant on us. It was completely unsystemized. It was two guys just shooting from the hip. Do this today. Do this today. Don't do this. Do this. Bang, bang, bang. And we loved it. We loved the entrepreneurial ready fire and, you know, the, but he was like, you know, if, one, if something happens to you or Mark, your business is dead. Dead. They're knocking on your door all day, every day. It's dead. You need to systemize it. And he told us what to do. He said, he said, watch this. And he picked up the phone and he just dialed a number and he said, blah, blah, blah. Didn't even hear, can't even remember what he said. But immediately some guy walked in and handed over like a, what looked like a 50 or 60 page document. And then the guy walked out and then James says, this is the manual for that guy's role. This guy, that guy is good, but if he leaves tomorrow, I've got the manual. The manual manages him, so I don't have to manage him. The manual manages him, so I don't have to manage him. Because I'm writing all these, numbers. this is great. So we went back to the staff. We pulled an office meeting. We had about 10-ish at the time. And we said, good news, you're all writing your systems. And of course, what they heard is a shitload of work they don't want to do, and we're preparing to get rid of them all. And I couldn't, I wasn't, well, we weren't doing that, but that's what they heard when I, and we, Mark and I were excited, but they don't give a shit that we've just gone to see James Khan. They're like, well, I've got to write a 50 page fucking manual, and I've got to do it by Friday. And so we, for the first time ever in our culture, we had a bit of a revolt where they all got together and bitched and moaned and, you know, we were like, what's going on? And Mark and I were like, well, let's just fire them and you know, they can't do this and blah, blah, blah. And then we had to get an HR consultant to advise us and all this and all like, We weren't used to any of this. So then I had a brilliant idea. Uh, and my brilliant idea was we will pay them a bonus to get it written, but give them a fine, a penalty, if they miss the deadline. And we told him that, and Mark's mum went, you can't do that! You can't buy me off! And so Mark's mum actually started another revolt. Another woman said, that's illegal! You can't do that from an HR. And Mark and I were being inventive. We were, you know, we were saying we'll pay you a bonus, and all they heard was, we'll give you a fine. Because, you know, how you think how they hear what you say is different. So we had another freaking revolt. And then we had to have all these HR meetings because our HR consultant is advising us. You've got to have official meetings, invite them to a hearing. Because none of our staff have ever been invited to a hearing before. Now they're getting invited to a hearing and they're like, oh, we're going to see Hatchet Rob, we're all going to get fired. Uh. And we're like, what the fuck do we do here? Mark and I were like, well in above our heads. 
Um, and we were just feeling our way in the dark, making our right hash of it. Uh, anyway, we kind of fumbled our way through and some people actually did get the systems document done and a couple of people quite enjoyed it and one guy especially was like keen on it and he got his bonus and all that. But one guy was not having it and wasn't doing it and it was time to us to have a review meeting and he basically said, I'm not doing it, I'm not coming in the review meeting. And I went, yes you are. And he went, I'm not. And I went, you work for me, you fucking motherfucking butt. You get, the, <laughs> you get in this fucking office now and you do this or you're fucking fired. And he got in the office very, you know, um, very, very begrudgingly. And within a month he'd left and he'd nicked four of our staff and set up in competition. And I can blame anyone else, but the reality is I lost my rag. Now, you know, yeah, he got in my face, but I didn't have to react like that. I could have just been like, well, okay, no problem. I understand you're a bit upset. Let's go and have a chat about this. But instead I let my emotions get the better of me. I'm like, I lost, it's the only time I've ever done it. And, and by the way, I've had anger management problems in my life. And when I was sort of, up, up until 25, I, I used to hold everything in because people would say stuff and I was like this little wallflower and I'd hold it all in. And then every six to 12 months, I'd have a massive meltdown, full on, I don't, I used, you know, just complete public meltdown, smashing everything in the house, thank good. You know, no social media back then, it's so useful for you to see. I, I once um, did a big karate kick on something because I was pissed off with it. I used to get really angry with in, uh, inanimate ob objects, you know, like lights and easels. Don't fucking talk to me like that, start kicking them, broke my foot in two places. Do you remember that, Mum? I, I worked a shift in the pub that day because Dad didn't believe me. Two clean breaks in my foot. I didn't tell him that I'd kicked a door. Um, I was his brown belt of martial arts as well at this point. I shouldn't really have, I should have kicked it with better technique. Um, and I used to have really bad, and really, because I used to suppress it. And that's why I talk a lot now and I share a lot of my stories. It's all, this that I do is also catharsis for me. It stops me bottling it all in, so it's really good. Um, so yeah, what did I learn? Never, ever lose your rag with any of your staff members. They're doing the best they can with what they know. Always, if you've got tricky conversations, you know, by the way, you can challenge them and you can say, that's wrong. This is not how we roll in this business, so you can't do that. But what made it worse was it was public and I embarrassed him. Now he embarrassed me, which is why I fought back, but he didn't remember and I embarrassed him. And here's the irony, my boss did that to me in 2006. When I came back from that speaker course I told you about and I did my first speech, he was like, well that was nonsense and rubbish, all this, I'm gonna be the speaker from now on, Rob's not being the speaker anymore. And he said it in front of a few guys in the office. And in that moment, I hated him with a rage and decided I was gonna leave and I was gonna set up a competition. I was gonna have a much bigger business than him and I was gonna beat that bastard. I decided that in the moment because he embarrassed me in front of people. And then, Three years later, obviously unintentionally, I'm doing it to one of my staff members. So it's funny how what goes around comes around. And all that emotion about what my boss did to me that I perceived to be wrong, is funny now. I've had my staff accuse me of the same thing. Now, not the, not the ones that are still here, and, you know, but we've had people set up in competition and any, anything that I've ever accused someone of at some point in the world, someone's accused me of. So, losing your rag with staff members, because I created that situation and I didn't mean to. Um, Mark and I also both semi-lost our rag, trying to hide it in an HR interview and we, um, someone threatened to take us to court or tribunal for um, discrimination against an illness which we didn't even know about. And the, uh, their ex-husband was quite a heavyweight solicitor and in the end, we had to settle. It's the only time we've had to actually settle, but we settled and we paid, I think, a couple of months' salary. And basically, that was medicine for us. Take your medicine, boys. 
Keep it cool. But be professional. Ma- and by the way, what underneath that, what you're actually saying is manage those volatile emotions that we all go through. Fear, anger, betrayal, you know, all these emotions that feel so strong. Basically, what business, Mark and I say this all the time, the biggest lesson we've had in business is how to handle our emotions and manage them. And you know what? You're a work in progress. You're a canvas, a, a painting that's never finished. Um, but that's definitely improved in me exponentially. I know I've got a way to go still. Um, but yeah, so that was a big mistake number one we made. If I could say anything to you, never lose your rag to any of your staff members or any people online who are trolling you. Always be professional. They'll remember you being professional. And if you have to berate them or you're going to lose your rag or whatever, do it privately. If, someone's, if someone is challenging your authority and you think, oh, I've got to put them down, do it privately or get rid of them professionally. All right, next mistake, call it a business nightmare if you will, is when you start hiring people, you don't know this, but you hire visions of yourself. And you know, you, you're entrepreneurial, you're disruptive, you're passionate, you're inspired, you have a vision, you're a top line strategist. And then when you see all these nuts and bolts, detaily, techie, pedantic people, you're like, I'm not fucking hiring you, I'm not fucking hiring you, I'm not hiring you. When in fact, someone to build your website or to code your app, that's exactly what you need. And you can't help it because you're blind. But when Mark and I had Progressive Property when it started, our first seven hires, not including our mums, were all young, skinny, Ted Baker suit wearing, spiky head, you know, ducker and diver entrepreneurs. And it was like sticking a mirror in front of how Mark and I were. And it was fricking chaos. And we're like, we wish they would just behave, but we wouldn't have behaved. And we hired them. So, you know, we've had times where we've had too many of one type. So you need to be clear, hire for the role, job description, traits, don't hire as a version of yourself. But most of the time you hire a version. Now, we've had times where, and I'm going to try and not be, in fact, if I say that, it's just going to make it worse. I'm not going to say it. But we've had, that, we've had times we've had nearly all men and no women in the office. And it's basically been like a testosterone fest. People doing press-ups in the office, grunting, shouting, banter, all this. And then when we've had times where we've had loads of women and not many men, and it's been a different energy. (laughs) And I don't think there's anything I could say without getting myself into hot water. But there's definitely a dynamic and a feel where you get too many of one type. So there's a great book on this called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And I'd recommend that you listen to that on audio. But basically you you want, in football, you don't have 10 goalkeepers. And you don't have 10 strikers. You need two goalkeepers. You know, you need, you know, because obviously you have um, a squad. You need a wing back that attacks and a wing back that's defensive. You need three or four centre backs and one that can play in a two formation or a three formation. You need holding midfielders. You need aggressive midfielders who are almost like strikers. You need out and out goal poachers. You need creative playmakers. In your team, you need all the, and the best teams are when they have a mix of them all. And so you need in your team, whether it's insourced or outsourced, you know, virtual or in the office. So be clear on the role and clear on the type of person. Take yourself and what you like out of the equation and hire based on the role. You want someone who's pedantic and has the most annoying attention to detail as a coder. Because if they miss something, 
that could be the end. You want someone like that on your legal team who picks out all of these specifics. But of course, if you're a big picture thinker person, that's going to wind you up and vice versa. All right then, so two more business nightmare horror stories on the Halloween theme. Hmm. So we've been in a tribunal before uh, and that was with our ex-employer. Um, now I thought, do I really talk about this? Yes, I do. So Mark and I worked for a property investment company in 2006. Mark had already been there a year or so and um, I started I think in February of 2006 and in December 2006 I got fired um, and I was doing a reality TV show called Get A Life, it was on Living, it was quite a big show at the time, do a bit of research if you want to find it. Uh, and I was away and Mark was in the office. Now what happened was, of course there are two sides to every story, um, but our side, and of course everyone's entitled to my opinion, so this is the, um, <laughs> our side uh, was that we didn't really think that his business model was either scalable, sustainable, and at worst if anything changed in the market or whatever, maybe even, it was going to be a bit of a nightmare. It was overseas, off-plan, new build. We turned out to be right about that. Because um, his company and many other companies ended up going bust. I mean, it went bust a good couple of years after we left. And of course, we like to think it was because we left. But actually, he managed to keep growing the company. But then the recession kicked in. And we thought that buying existing stock, existing properties, you know, that were lower in value and did, had had all the depreciation already off, was a better model. And we took it to him. And first he said no and dismissed us. We took it to him again. Uh, and then he said, yeah, all right. And he said, um, well, I'll have 70% and Mark can have 25% and Rob, you can have 5%. And, you know, and I went leaving th and he wrote it all on a beer mat and he told us all how it was going to do. And I thought, well, Mark and I brought this business plan model to you, which is definitely more sustainable and you, you're giving me 5%. And then I just thought, yeah, this ain't going to work. Um, we need to get out of here. And I said to Mark, we need to get out of here. Mark was like, oh, well, 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 maybe we'll just wait a little bit. Oh, well, you know, and like Mark's, he, he waits a lot longer than me. And I said, we need to get out of here. And he was, so what I did was, um, so I took it upon myself uh, and I drew up a little business plan and I, set, I wrote down all the things we needed, you know, a few staff. They happened to be in this company. I thought we might borrow them for a few years. All the equipment we would need and all that kind of stuff. And I made a plan. And um, someone tipped him off that we were considering leaving. And then he got angry and fired us. And yeah, we were considering leaving. I was planning to leave. We'd put this model to him twice. He didn't want any of it, fine. Um, now, Mark probably wouldn't have left for a year or two. He probably just would have sucked it up. And that probably would have ended up being a mistake. And if he was here, he'd probably say, yeah, that was right. Um, obviously, the way in which I, it came about was probably not that elegant. He ended up, because, uh, me being the complete numpty that I am, I did all these plans on the work computer, <laughs> which I used to take home. Uh, and also, uh, and, um, you know, and it, it got synced into the server. And of course, he found all that. And he found all that afterwards. So anyway, he got emotional, fired us. Uh, and um, we, we had a big standoff with him. Uh, and in the end, we spoke to a couple of solicitors afterwards. Of course, they're like, oh, yeah, you've got a case. Whew. 
rubbing their hands together. They know they'll be earning fees out of this. Um, and um, in the end, we decided to take him to a tribunal because um, we, you know, we felt we had a good case for wrongful and unfair dismissal. We had no legal contract anyway. Um, and it probably took about a year. And in the end, we won. Um, and we got damages. And I think the damages were about 15,000. And I think the court case cost us about 15,000. And he had to pay the damages and his court fees. And he probably had a better lawyer. So his court fees might have been 40,000. I don't know. Um, and, I, and, you know, this was the first year we were supposed to be setting up Progressive. Well, it was the first year of setting up Progressive. So why am I telling you this? I want to look at this from a balanced view and give you what I think I've learned. So let's look at it from my ex-boss's point of view. I nearly said his name there. Mark doesn't like me to say his name. Um, so he hired me with no CV. He gave me a chance when I didn't really deserve a job in property considering I was an artist. He, he trained me up to be a life coach. I ended up having a good um, sort of life coaching practice. He sent me on all these courses and seminars and paid for a lot of them. And yeah, I paid for some of them myself when I earned money, but he paid for a lot of them. Uh, he regularly used to take us out drinking. And when he was sort of um, high, he was like the biggest laugh and a great person to be with. Um, he always used to let us watch The Secret every Friday afternoon. Stop us doing our work. Watch The Secret, manifest millions. Um, and yeah, and I met Mark through him. And of course, when we were going through the tribunal, I couldn't see any of this. I just thought, wrong, wrong guy, greedy, tried to screw us, was only going to give me 5%. I brought the idea, you know, unfairly dismissed us, did all this, did all that. But he did all that for me. Uh, and so I'm very grateful to him for doing that for me. And I always will be grateful. From the other side of it, he lost the plot emotionally and made a bad emotional decision just like I did, I told you about when I did it with my marketing guy. Um, and he probably should have adapted his model a bit sooner. Uh, and he was a very emotional guy such that if he was high, it was great to work with him. But if he was low, he was horrible to work for. Angry, he'd point at you, he'd say, he'd go and spend 1,500 quid on Google AdWords, leads he'd have eight of them, he'd part them into four, and he goes, right! Sell them or you're fired! Mark, sell them or you're fired! We'd look at each other going... But, but that also made, pushed Mark and I closer together. He pushed us together to have a great relationship. We were both. And also, Mark would just go away. When our ex-boss would go, and Mark would just go, like, he's always like that, he's always like that. Don't worry, when he's had his coffee, he'll be fine. Don't worry, he's not had his coffee. And it's funny, because I'm a bit like that when I haven't had my coffee. <laughs> um, so it's funny how everything goes around, comes around. I'll never, you know, you say about your parents, I'll never do that, and then you never say that, and you find yourself saying the very things your parents said to you, to your kids. Um, yeah, so it's easy to say this, but maybe what we should have done when we left is just let that go and just focus those hundreds of hours into progressive property and we might have grown it quicker. It was quite toxic, the energy. And yeah, we, we were emotional about it. And just the, 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 the word of the case and the thought of his name, you know, made us feel quite angry. We felt wronged. Um, I going back again, we might do the same thing. We had to clear our name as well because it was throwing a load of mud about us and, and we weren't throwing it back. Um, but yeah, you know, how do you avoid going through a tribunal? I think getting your ego out of the way and just looking at costs. You know, normally the two winners in any court case are the two lawyers representing each other's side. And those lawyers earned 30 grand out of that. And then there was the barrister we hired on top of that. And they're like two or three grand a day or whatever. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's difficult for me to say that's a nightmare because in a way it's a bit of a horror story because you don't want to go through that. But I suppose at the time we felt we had to beat him to clear our name and to prove to people that we weren't wrong in what we were doing. And we did that, but the energy was so toxic and sometimes you've got to step out of yourself and go, let my ego go over there. The investment of time, the investment of energy, the investment of emotions, the opportunity cost of that and where can I put that? That case probably took us 15 hours a week for the best part of a year. The thing with Mark as well is because he's a really detailed guy. Once he gets in something, he gets obsessed by it. So it was like for 50 hours a week, every fucking week, he was just talking to me about it. Um, every now and again, every sort of few months as well, he, he goes back and does a little bit of research and finds out where this guy is and what he's up to and he tells me stories. <laughs> He's been here, he was doing, he was, he was a stage hypnotist at one point. Um, I think he's, uh, yeah, so um, anyway. So um, sometimes you can get emotional into something and it can drain all your time and that time can be invested better elsewhere. Um, thankfully I've never been divorced and I hope I'm never divorced, but I can guess a divorce can get like that. And you know, just sometimes, you know, getting your ego out of the way and going, look, what's the right thing? So that's the third one. Then the fourth one is when I was an artist, I could draw and paint and I couldn't sell and that's why I was a skint artist. So most business horror stories will come about because you can't sell more than your overheads cost you. Because if you can sell enough that your overheads plus a net margin of 20% comes into your business every day, week, month or year, then you've got a good sustainable business. So, so many people are like setting up their shop, dressing the windows, setting the products, the design, everything. And all of this is a great facade, looking really busy when you should be out there selling your stuff and selling yourself. So, for years as an artist and then as a pub landlord and everything I did, I did everything but embrace sales and marketing. Now, marketing, and sales, I believe, are the two most important functions of a business. Some people say, oh, no, no, it's finance and managing your money. You can't manage money you haven't got if you haven't sold some shit. So you need to sell some stuff. And um, if you imagine a shop, the sales is someone in the shop buying the clothes and you sell them a tie and some shoes and everything else. I got my um, wedding suit from Tom Ford. I went in. Of course, they sold me the three-piece instead of the two-piece. They sold me the... Um, hand doing up bow tie. Um, was it a bow tie I wore? No, it was a normal tie, but I needed a backup one, of course. They sold me the handkerchief, which was like 125 quid for a handkerchief. Upsold me on that. Oh, I needed the shoes, which were 1,200 quid. Um, you know, and I needed all this, and they did a really good job of upselling me. Um, I'm the easiest person to sell to as soon as I go into a clothes shop anyway. Um, but marketing is getting me in the shop in the first place. So I would say most businesses fail because they're not getting people in the shop. So I would say get good at getting people in your shop. That's marketing. Uh, and that is getting your brand out there, having a disruptive, unique, memorable product or service, shouting about it shamelessly. Um, you, know, I'm, you know, some people who are at our book writing boot camp are saying to me, Rob, every time I scroll down the feed, all I see is you in it. And I think, well, every time I scroll down the feed, I see Grant Cardone and Gary Vaynerchuk in it more than they see me in it. So I've got to up my game. And by the way, there's a block button if you don't like my face. You can block me. That would make your life better. Um, 
So I think you've got to get yourself out there more if you want to grow your business. Of course, that links to your fears, judgment, trolls, critics, haters, failure, success. What I've put here is test, just fucking do it, and it's not you. So, you know, people aren't blocking, trolling, rejecting, ignoring you. It's just they're not interested in what you've got. Um, but, but sales and marketing are the most important functions of a business, which I failed at as an artist. Embrace it, learn it, study it, honour it. Keep testing new platforms, new ideas. And if you sit in here being honest with yourself, saying, yeah, 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 I get all that, but it really isn't me. I'm the creator, but I'm not the sailor. Then JV with someone who's brilliant at selling. And you create. And, you know, Mark's probably more the creator, the analyzer. He's, um, I think he's more of a, like, a lord trader on the um, Wealth Dynamics profile. I'm basically, on every personality profile, I'm, like, way off the top off the chart, off the top. And Mark's normally at the bottom or the opposite side of me, which proves we're very different. So, you know, if you're not a salesperson, it's not something that you can embrace, that's okay. Don't try and be someone who you're not. Get a great salesperson in your team. Partner with someone who's really good at selling a vision. Selling isn't just selling products and services, it's selling a vision. Steve Jobs was a great person at selling a vision. Martin Luther King changed the world through selling a vision. Ice Cube was selling a vision through his music. So selling isn't just about, you know, techniques and gimmicks. It's about what you believe and getting it out there in the world and standing up for what you believe in. And some people die for what they believe in. You know, I think in our society, we're quite lucky, you know, but people decades ago, they stood up for what they believed in. They got murdered for it. So really, you know, um, you've got to embrace that if you want to grow your business. And most, most businesses go bust because they, they just don't take enough money to pay their overhead. Simple as. All right. So that's the end of the business horror stories. Can we talk about some nice stuff now? Um, yeah, thanks for being part of the journey. I don't really want to go on about it too much, but uh, I definitely, when I started a podcast, I just thought, well, you know what? Let's see how this goes. Um, for probably two years, I thought about doing podcasts. And uh, the feedback to myself now is, if I'm thinking about it, try it. If there's no downside, what's the downside? All right, a bit of time, and I bought a mic and a recorder, and what am I going to do with it? Stick it on eBay, but there's not really much downside. So try it. And yeah, it's, um, it's been a great journey. And to that end, for the next 10 or so minutes, I'm just going to share with you some questions and answers or comments on maybe building your own podcast. Just something a bit different. Um, do you want to ask me anything about should I? How do I? Um, it's a very relevant time, actually, because I've just written a brand new uh, deep dive podcast course. I'm calling it the Podcast Media Masterclass. Uh, it's a two-day course on setting up basically your own media empire, uh, mostly through podcasting. Because, I mean, if you do podcasts properly, you're basically uh, like, a, like BBC Radio. Um, you know, some of them, well... 1.1 million subscriptions in 180-odd countries now, our podcast, A Disruptive Entrepreneur, has. You know, that's bigger listenership than some major radio stations. And all I do is stick a microphone in front of my face and ran off at it for however long it takes. Uh, and um, the world is changing, and we're very much in a decentralization economy. The banks, you know, the, the, their control is being decentralized into crowdfunding and you know, all these other Bitcoin and these other disruptive currencies that are, are being created. And, you know, TV networks are being broken down and YouTube and individuals who have 10 million subscribers to their YouTube channel are now as big as some 
TV stations. And podcast is the same for radio, but it's so much better than radio. Because for radio, you have to sit and wait for ages, go through all ads. They tell you the show is 12 till 1, because I've been on BBC Radio 2 with Steve Wright and all this stuff. Uh, and then they drag it out and drag it out, and you're on at 12.40 for like six minutes. And the thing that you, they're always teasing you to stay on with, with a podcast, pops in your phone or online on Stitcher. It's, it's there. You click when you want. You listen when you want. You stop when you want. It's not live, even though it's live when you want it. And if it's no good, you stop it. If it's good, you listen to it again. If it's too slow, you put it on two times speed. It's so much better a media than radio. And um, yeah, we're about to do some great things with the podcast. I can't say yet because two of them aren't officially 100% agreed. Um, but some people that we're going to interview are huge. One of them's a billionaire. Um, and that's all just because of the following we have on the podcast. And who knows what doors that'll open. So I think it's the future. I really do. Um, and the, the Americans have been at it a lot longer than us. Uh, and in the UK, still only about 4% of people even know what a podcast is, you know, or at least how to listen to it on their phone. Um, and podcasts have changed my life for sure. And it's not an exaggeration. I know, oh, this changed my life, that changed my life. But being able to get really good information directly into your brain, wherever you are in the world, was life-changing for me because I'm a really slow reader. And you have to take a lot of time out of your life to read and you have to be in the right mood. And with me, reading, I'm either too wired to read or I start reading and then I fall asleep and I'm too tired. And I, find, I, I don't read very fast. I'm like reading it out in my head. I'm not going very much speed read. Here's a book on how to speed read, except I'm reading it really fucking slow. Um, <laughs> And so, like, so then when, when you can listen to an audiobook or a podcast, and then there's the, I remember when I listened to 1.25 speed at first, I'm like, whoa, this guy's really fast. And then you get up to 1.5, then you get up to 2. Um, some people you can't listen to on two times speed, that may be me. Um, <laughs> but hey, listen to me. But the, 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 there's a big drawback, though, of this, and I, you know, I always like to give you a balanced view. When you listen to podcasts on two times speed and then you talk to your wife, Rob, so... Hurry up, love. I wish there was the 2x speed button <laughs> on my beautiful wife. <laughs> um, yeah, I find myself being a bit impatient. But I think it's just an amazing medium. So is there anything you want to ask me about podcasts? Uh, Glenn, we'll start with you. What's your name, sir? Glenn. Hi, Glenn. Yeah. Who should do it? Why? And how do you monetize it? Okay, so who should do it? Anyone who's got a message that you want to share for the medium to long term, I think, should consider doing a podcast. Now, some podcasts are niche, like commercial property. Some people are sort of niche but not niche, like the Tim Ferriss show or the name of someone's show. Um, some people are doing it on a very um, generic topic like health and fitness, for example. Um, so. I think if you don't want to be in the public eye, you don't have a message to share, you're not really clear on what you do, you don't want to grow a brand, you don't like the limelight, you don't want leverage, then don't, don't do a podcast just because I say so or for the sake of it. But if you've got a message and you want to share it, a podcast is a great way to do it. Now, a great way to start is to just go, here's the message I want to share. Now, what you could do is you could have your business and whatever, but you've got this other message in your heart that you want to share. It might be about fashion, it might be about martial arts, it might be about something that's not related to your business. A podcast is a great medium to do that because it's a very separate thing. I've been considering a while doing one about raising junior golfers. And um, there's reasons I'm not doing it yet. Um, but I'll probably do that at some stage. Um, so if you've got a good niche, if you've, if you've got a message, um, 
you've got knowledge to share, or you've got an existing assets and you want to grow the reach. So you already run property commercial courses and book, you've written books and you're already well known for that and you're doing JVs and you know, you're doing all your multi-million pound pipeline of projects. Well, a podcast is probably going to get you more reach, more exposure to get you more well known. Now, if you're already known for something or becoming known for something, it's wise to do the podcast on that. Because if you do it on something else, then there's a mixed message. So, you know, it depends where you're at. If you're not known for anything yet, that's fine. Just express yourself. Now, the sort of blah, blah show, you know, the Tim Ferriss show, the Rob Moore show, you know, whatever. The upside of that is you can kind of, you, you've got almost artistic license to talk about what you want to talk about. Hey, it's the Rob Moore show and I want to talk about money today and I want to talk about health and fitness next week and I want to talk about, you know, cars and watches and whatever. But the downside is unless you're already a celebrity, who's going to download the not very well-known name show? And Tim Ferriss played it right in that he got really well known through initially the four hour work week, then the four hour, I think it was Body Next, and I think it was four hour chef. And then he already sold millions of copies of books and then he did the Tim Ferriss show. And I see a lot of people doing the Dave Jones show, but who's Dave Jones? So that's not, probably not the smartest play. Um, I always like to think a level or two ahead. I mean, even with the disruptive entrepreneur, it, I could grow it wider by just getting rid of entrepreneur, just call it disruptive or disruption because then I can interview non-entrepreneurs and then I can talk about other things that aren't entrepreneurial and it'll give me a wider audience. But at the same time, it might dishonor everyone who's following me for you know, business and entrepreneurial tips and tricks. I think if you do interview podcasts, the risk is if you just do interview podcasts, then the, you pedestalize the interviewee. Um, and I wanted to brand myself, not just interview people and you know, be a bit of a sort of a, a, I didn't want to play second fiddle if you like. And it's not an ego thing, it's just, well, if I'm gonna put this time into it, I want to, you know. So I do interviews because I love them, but I do interviews and content and caffeine casts and Rob's rants. So essentially it's four different styles of podcast in one. And then when, and, and also those who do interviews, because the most common podcast is an interview podcast and loads of people are doing them. But if you're not known, you have to do a 14 dozen interviews with a load of no ones, and I say that respectfully, but a load of people who aren't any names before you get your big name. Whereas because I can choose when I do them, I'll do them when I've got the right person and I won't when I haven't. So all my interviewees are handpicked people I want to interview. And I don't have to think, oh shit, I need to get an interviewee for tomorrow afternoon, I'll just call in a favour or just get someone who's maybe not that well known. So that was the first part of the question. How do you monetize it? Was that the other part? Yeah. Okay, so um, I decided to have a very long play where I wasn't going to sell on the podcast for a very long time, if ever. And the reason was is because A, I didn't need to because I had um, passive income and other assets that liberated my time. B, I, want, I didn't want to be suppressed. Um, i.e., you know, two ads at the start, ad at the middle, ad at the end, kind of suppresses how I format it and, um, you know, your listening experience of it. I listened to one recently, three ads at the start, two ads in the middle, one of them the same as the ad at the start, and then two ads at the end. And it's a, it's a, d a decent guy and a good podcast, but it's like, for fuck's sake, man, six ads. Uh, I lost a bit of connection there. Um, and I thought, mm, yeah, you know, like you've just gone down a bit of my... And also, it's like, you've got to do six ads. That tells me you're skint. Do, do one. Maybe they're not. But, the, you know, this is like, really? 
So, um, and it's a very well-known one. Um, so I think, uh, that's just a bit of a shame in that regard. So I would, when you start it, I wouldn't sell on it or sell ads for a few months. You, you need to get to a critical mass of downloads per month before you can sell ads anyway. So no point, you know, um, slaying the golden goose when it's a little chick. So let it grow and let it become an asset. So the way I decided to monetize it was do a little funky special offer on anniversaries. 50th anniversary, 100th anniversary, sorry, 50th episode, 100th episode, anniversary, 150th episode. What we'll do is I might promote the book money or give tickets away to an event. So I've done three of those. I'm not going to do it on this one just because it's, we've got a big agenda, but I might do it on that. Um, and people aren't going to mind at all if you make them a really good special offer every 50th episode. So that's one way you can do it. The second way is you can sell ads when you get a big enough reach. And I know people, I think I can get about 60 grand a month now with the listenership I've got looking at all the data. Might, might be a bit less, I don't know. Um, but I don't want to do that because I don't want to um, ruin my art. That being said, if Odemars Piguet said to me and said, Rob, you know, like I want to do something, I'll be all in. Because I would actually promote a brand I love. Why not? If Vivian Westwood came to me and said, I want to do something with you. First of all, all right, let's do an interview. I'd love to interview her. Um, you know, what she's done in fashion. So I would, I'm going to keep my options open to do it with people that I would promote their stuff anyway for free. Um, you know, Apple did the, the Siri ad with The Rock, didn't they? Uh, and then the third way that you monetize it is, you know, you use it as a lead generation or a way to bring people into the events that you've got. So you could talk a lot about the commercial property events that you've got up and coming. You could do Q&A sessions and, um, you know, you could even put ads on your own podcast for your own courses. Um, and, and you could use it as a way to build information around your courses, deliver excerpts, do, you know, do a little um, podcast sort of in one of your courses for a section. You know, I, I did quite a lot of chapters of money in the podcast when the money book was coming out. I was sort of shed load more books thanks to the podcast without having to really pitch it. Um, in, in the future, they're going to be assets, huge assets, because all the, every, you know, in, in the online world, your asset is your database, your list. And, you know, the bigger the company, the bigger the reach. So Facebook have got billions of people. So if you've got 100,000 plus subscribers, you've got a massive asset there. That it's definitely monetizable, even in a lot of ways I don't even know yet. Yes, Irene, what's your name? Irene. Hi, Irene. I know what you were saying about having, you know, you, what you do is four stream um, information on your podcast, but yeah. you've only got one. I only had one to start with. Okay, but how do you make sure then that you've got good content, that you don't wake up one morning and think, I don't know what I'm going to say today? Yeah, I've never had that problem. <laughs> so that's a different problem for me. But Tom and Harry will tell you um, that the, it, the more I churn out and the more ahead we get, it allows me a week where I'm away or a week, because I have you know, days or weeks where either I'm away or not feeling that creative or not, I'm not inspired every day to chunk out content, most days now. But so if we can get three or four weeks ahead, then I've got a bit of play. So the wise play that is, number one, get six to ten episodes done before you launch it and get three off, we call it in the bank. So Harry gets a bit worried when they sort of get, the bank gets down to about two weeks. Because obviously the later I give it to Harry, the harder he's got to work to edit it and mess around. I, I try, try my best not to mess him around, but you know, you can't rush, genius man. If you ever give me any shit, Harry, you can't rush, genius. <laughs> um, so, 
so you might plan to launch it in three months. Start doing them now, create the assets, get six there, maybe even 10, and then a month or two's worth of launches once a week in the background. Because by the way, if you launch a podcast, you want six to 10 episodes already there. Because if you go onto a podcast and it's got one episode, you're like, oh, that's brand new. Uh, you know, like there's no content there. If it's got six or 10 already, it looks like it's a bit established. So get a bank ahead. Now, for me, the closer conversation you have with your community members, like I am here, the easier it is to come up with content. Because you've just told me now, you've asked me, how do you come up with content? Now, I could do a podcast on how to come up with content. So you're telling me the content to share. Of course, most of you in this room are going to be like, how do I come up with my content? So, for example, um, your blogs can be repackaged into your um, podcast. Your chat, you can read chapters of your book. You can interview different people. You can do it. This is what I did. This is what I learned. So you can say, hey, I went to Woburn Centre Parks and we did a two-hour um, live in-person podcast with Rob. And this is what I learned about podcasts on Rob's podcast. So you can repackage other people's information, etc. So really, you've, just, you've got to think, as you're living your day, what can also be a blog, a video, a podcast, and then it becomes easy. To the point where social media and real life merge as one thing, where the, you know, the camera's always on. Um, so yeah, I, um, also if you follow people who give good content, you go, yeah, I've had that problem. That's a subject I'd really like to share. And then rewrite it in your own words and take it and give it your meaning. That's another way of doing it. Um, I, I, you know, whenever I have good meetings with people or good conversations with interesting people, um, you know, I always get, get inspired to, to share stuff. So there's five or six ways there. You could take all your old content, all your old stuff you've written. You could go back through a journal or a diary that you did and, and, you know, and share it. So there, look, you've got eight or nine ways there. I'm sure I've even got podcast episodes on how to churn out your content. But for me, not doing interviews all the time, like every Monday, meant I didn't have to force the interviews. Like we've got three people, three massive names we're in for at the moment. One probably won't happen until December, January. One was booked and we've had to rebook it. And that means I can do all that and not worry. I started with me just sharing stuff. Um, I knew I wanted to do interviews, so I knew they would come in. Um, and what, the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, if there's any podcast out there that has to disrupt, it's got to be the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. So I look at my analytics all the time, too much sometimes. If I have a bad download day, my self-worth goes down. So come on, help me here. You can, each time you download, oh, Rob's self-worth's going up. Rob's self-worth's going up. So I think, oh, okay. Sometimes you see a bit of a sort of a stagnation of your analytics. Mm, you've got to do something different here. Change the day, change the format. When we did the Rob rant, Rob's rants, we got a good uplift. Today I did my first ever split screen um, live feed and we got um, a really high uplift in um, people watching compared to yesterday when I just did a, a, a kind of a normal one. So I'm always looking at how I can, as soon as you get used to what I'm doing, I'm trying to change it. Notice we changed the intro, didn't we? Um, you know, and, and, and Tom and Harry did a great job there of pet patching. It's just trying to change it, keep it fresh. All right, we'll do one more and then we've got to go into the next bit. It's got to be super quick, this one. Okay, just a quick one then. What's your name, sir? It's Mark. Hi, Mark. Is there an ideal length of... They say 30 minutes. The commuting time, apparently. Okay. There you go. Answer. You feel really screwed over and missold now, don't you? Everyone got a really long answer. I got two words. The second half of the question, really, then, has that grown as you've got You mean if I started talking more and more and more? Yeah. Says <laughs> uh, you. Uh, yeah, like 
Tom and Harry were like, right, your Rob's main episode needs to be 20 minutes, and then some of them are 30 and 40. The caffeine cast needs to be eight minutes, and then they're 12 and 15. But I'm not like, as soon as the guys tell me how long it's got to be, I'm like, it's going to be how long it needs to be. Because I am a diva. And I don't know what your life is, either, because you're a diva. Um, <laughs> um, but, so, but I've learned from people that good content should be as long as it should be. So if I'm doing 12 minutes and it's 11 minutes of waffle, it's a rubbish podcast. If I'm doing two hours and it's two hours of gold, it's a good podcast. So it's all about how long it should be, that you're not waffling, that you're not going off on tangents, that you know, a lot of people in their interest, hi, where are you from? You know, like, no, give them, the, give them the big promise right up. Hi, it's Rob, I'm gonna give you seven ways to make more money in less time. Bang, you know, don't waste people's time. You know what it's like when it's just a bit waffly, and sometimes I listen to a, a podcast on a guy called Ty Lopez, who's you know really good. But what he does is he's doing his podcast, he does his YouTube, and his, and he does like four lives in one go, and about a third of the podcast is oh I'm just going to set up and tune in and start again, and, and he's setting this up, and and I know what he's doing, he's repurposing. But if he cut all that out and gave me two thirds less, I'd just have the content. Um, so, you know, he may just need to sort of edit that down. That would be useful feedback for him. Because I don't care when I'm listening to his podcast about him saying he's going to go live now on YouTube. I care about his content. Um, so it needs to be as long as is good. Good length, 8 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Because they're kind of like 8 to 12 minutes you can get in any time. And also, when I've listened to 3 or 4 12-minute podcasts, I think, man, I've got a lot done today. Two times speed. I only should only put it on for 24 minutes. I feel like I've consumed a lot. Um, and you want, you, you want to allow your audience to feel that way. But, you know, some of the best podcasts I've listened to, some Joe Rogan ones that I've, I really like are two and a half, three hours. Sometimes, though, that's way too long and it could have been half and they just go on massive tangents. But sometimes gold comes out of tangents. So I'd say 8, 12, 15, 30. Only go over 30 if you're confident in your content or you've got a brilliant person, you've got a lot of good interview questions to do because you don't want it rambling on. All right, we've got to move on now. Sorry, Glenn, otherwise you guys are going to kill me. We've got to be off at five and I've got a quick fire round. Blame, on, blame it on me. Hello. Hello. Are you ready? Yeah, do it. Do you, okay. does, does Nat, oh, you're mic'd up. Good. Okay. At what point did you consider yourself successful? When it was more than my mum who'd read my books. <laughs> that was pretty good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I never see myself as successful because I always want to achieve more. But when I was able to look back and not just forward, I think I enjoyed success more. That's awesome. We're all looking forward as entrepreneurs. Let's look back from time to time and go, hey, look how well we did. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. What will kill a business? A war? Donald Trump? <laughs> that's the first political statement I've ever made on a podcast. A lack of marketing and sales, a lack of KPIs and looking at the numbers. Um, uh, uh, affected team members, disillusioned affected team members who affect other team members, they, they'll all kill a business. Um, you becoming complacent, you getting hubris, you not continually developing, improving and innovating, that'll all kill a business. Awesome. How did becoming a dad change your approach to business? And Had fuck all time! <laughs> and um, the relationships really of those sorry. you work with. <laughs> I love how Caden's there, like, oh, I can't believe he's swearing. And then he goes, <laughs> then he goes to school. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, can you say that again? Yeah, sure. How did becoming a dad change your approach to business and your relationship with those you work with? 
Okay, so um, when someone comes into your life that you love more than yourself, it gets you to care about other people more. And it was definitely that because chemically I love him more than I love myself and I can't do anything about that. Not that I want to, but I just can't because it's there in me, my biology. So I think it helped me care about people more, my team, etc. Also, there's something else in the world here that's important that needs my time because before Bobby was born, I was working a lot and there was cost to that you know Gemma probably wouldn't have been with me all this time she probably would have left me if I was working 16 hours a day because she wouldn't have had a husband there so it got and also embracing him into my world so I guess I guess it gave me more balance oh, that was the thing. <laughs> it's okay we can continue next question well, we've still got six minutes yeah yeah it's fine um, oh okay <laughs> oh did I do I not get a point for that then do I lose yeah, nul point. All right. Um, <laughs> even though you're wealthy and can afford the best mentors, is there anything you still struggle with? I, str I struggle every day with the voices in my head, the baggage I had when I was a kid of being overweight and feeling like I was bullied, all the rejection I've ever experienced in my life, that I felt emotional pain comes out from time to time in business and life. Um, raising Bobby to be a great golfer and balancing being a parent with what you want them to do versus who they really are. Yeah, you know, those things are in my head every day. Brilliant. The next one is funny coming from me as someone who works for you. Um, so how do you keep your staff motivated enough to A, arrive at work on time and to B, live and breathe the passion that you have for the business? I leave earlier to get to work on time. Um, <laughs> And uh, passion for the business. I do not micromanage my team as much as I can. Um, and I know anyone who's worked with me for years will say I've got better at not doing that. And I'm not perfect. And sometimes I do get in a bit. But, you know, if it, I, I just really like all the people I work with. I love you guys. I like being with you. I didn't like being in the office on my own, just me and Mark getting grumpy with each other. I genuinely like being around people, getting to know the team, trusting them, seeing them gr grow. <laughs> Okay, so if X equals money, Y equals education, and U equals action, are there any other elements that are crucial to building wealth? Can you say that again? Yeah, so you've got, you've got money, education, and action. Is there anything else that's crucial to building wealth? Yeah, I think constant innovation, learning, getting feedback, improving your offers and services, balancing hubris with humility. Um, but you could say that as education. But working on yourself all the time, emotional mastery. You, we've all lost our rag emotionally and whatever it was, and then afterwards regretted it. So you, know, you can't take it back. So managing your emotions, and for me, being quiet and nodding and smiling, whether it's online or offline, was, has been the hardest thing, because for years I suppressed everything. And <laughs> so, Including that fucking answer. <laughs> so that was going to be the best bit. <coughs> I, I don't like this format. No, sorry, go on. <laughs> All right. Yeah, go on. I already know the answer to this one, but um, will you ever retire? No. Why would I retire? I love what I do. Why would I retire? So that would be stopping doing what I love. And I'd have no purpose. What, what purpose? I'd, I'd be even more fucking annoying if I retired. <laughs> I'd just be going around hitting kids with walking sticks in the, you know, and like, no, I'd, I'd be, um, you parked wrong! Yeah, you know, <laughs> all these people are having to go at you for your parking and everything you're doing. because they're bored, they've got nothing to do. I don't hold it against them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go and get a job. Sorry. <laughs> the worst thing is nothing to do because you create problems for yourself. Look at all those people on forums. Oh, it's good, good timing at that one. <laughs> a 
Okay, what should be avoided when starting a business? Getting get in too many overheads too quickly, mm-hmm. so that you know you you you're too heavy. Um, getting too slow. The great thing about a small business is dynamic. It's fast. You can pivot quickly. You can make quick decisions. Ready, fire, aim. So you know it, as you grow that you'll lose that. Um, yeah, you keep the passion, the hunger. Don't give up because obviously it gets hard. It's hardest at the start. Yeah, that. What was the worst business decision you have ever made? The worst business decision I ever made was to not do the businesses I wanted to do early enough. I, I, I was ready to do podcasts, I was ready to set up Progressive, I was ready to do this, I was ready to do that, and I waited or procrastinated or whatever. Um, so, ah, did we do the, all the questions? Maybe. Um, oh, this is a good one though. Um, Anybody that you would bring back from the dead to learn from? (laughs) Yeah, 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 it is. Um, I was absolutely shocked when Michael Jackson died because as a kid I loved his music. So the first 10 seconds of the pause was who, and then when I thought Michael Jackson, there was another five second pause to say, should I say that for obvious reasons? I never, obviously never knew the guy. Mm. I'd love to have got to know the guy because, you know, externally he was perceived for his greatness and his challenges, but you never know what someone's going through and how it really is until you know them personally. I know Gerald Ratner personally, and all the shit that he got in the media, a lot of it was unfair and unfounded and ulterior motives from the media. So imagine being able to spend some time learning from someone like Michael Jackson, and I just loved his music and I still do. That for me, you know, like when someone dies and your jaw hits the floor, you cannot believe it. That for me was the biggest one. Obviously Senna was a genius, there's so many geniuses, but yeah, probably Michael Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently we're done. All right, thanks Nat. Yeah, look at that. Did the whole agenda, bang on time, five o'clock. A massive thanks for coming. We're we're gonna be kicked out, are we? Thanks everyone. (laughs) 